This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me for the 144th minute is a friend of the show and a man who gives unbelievably great Twitter. Uh, he is an author, um, most notably for Peckerwood, um, which uh, is is available all over the place. You can buy it on Kindle and Oz if you can't get a physical paperback, otherwise it's on Amazon. Um, but we've just been discussing off-air that his novel Fierce Bitches, which is actually published in Australia, is now out of print everywhere except France. So if you can read French, like my friend Seamus at work, um, you should uh, buy yourself a copy and get on that. Uh, he is Jedediah Ayers. He is a top-shelf Man aficionado, Jedediah, welcome back to One Heat Minute. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You know, it occurs to me if you're in if you're in Australia, you could probably find fierce bitches in a used or Goodwill shop or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe secondhand bookstore uh, aficionados as well out there that people who just know how to find this sort of stuff get on that might be able to find it. <laughs> So here we are, my friend. I'll get almost as much royalties that way. <laughs> uh, so here we are. I've um, Jedediah is a great proponent of this show. There are some people that I can call on um, that have been really supportive to the show and that have been guests on the show and that we've become um, great friends around the show. And uh, I had a very sort of trying couple of minutes here um, uh, to fill because they really are, you know, very contentious i suppose and and very disturbing because throughout this movie you know we've seen some innocent people some bystanders um uh, uh be killed we've seen a prostitute um sort of living really hard um suffer the wrath of wango another intensely disturbing minute um, but the sort of uh, emotional fragility of Natalie Portman's Lauren in only her second cinematic role um, really comes to a crescendo over the last couple of minutes. But um, particularly here on 144, we see Vincent post-discovery of Lauren in the tub. So what I might do is quickly play the minute for us now. You guys can listen along and examine and hear Vincent's reaction and hear some of the fallout. And then Jedediah and I will come back and sort of talk about this and everything that is Vincent uh, uh, actually showing Justine and his family uh, what he's good at. Here we go. Let's have a listen. Not you, baby. Not you. What, 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 where would she be? I mean, her name is Lauren. Lauren Gustafson, and she's supposed to be here with, with the police. Please. Help me. I, 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 I need some... There it is, my friend, from nursing, Lauren, in, in that moment alongside the bathtub and sort of making sure that she's not going to lose blood to getting to the, the panic of the hospital and having Justine there. Learning Lauren's surname, G- Gustafson, a little revelation <laughs> for people in heat of people who have not, not been knowing what her surname is for the entire film, and Justine waiting there and Vincent jumping into action. It's a scary little scene. It is. How old are your kids? My, my, They're not that age. No, 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 no. no. Uh, much younger, but nonetheless, I'm disturbed. My little girl is two and a half, and my boy is uh, nine months. Yeah. 
yeah, no, I mean, I got two boys that age right now, and yeah, it's it's hard to watch. Very hard. Very hard to watch. Especially because she's so... Um, because even her barrettes, you know, throw, not having her barrettes throws her into a panic in this film. And so, like, when you see that she's taken those steps, and particularly that she's, like, the way that she's gone at it, multiple cut multiple parts of her body and just tried to exit, it's like that sort of unimaginable grief and, and sort of uh, disorientation for a young person when your mind is already just mush. Like, I, I mean, until I was about 25, I was still a high-functioning ape. Um, so, you know, I just can't imagine... You know, when you get caught up like that as a young kid, that that sort of, you know, how desolate the world must feel. And she's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really sad. It, yeah, and it it strikes me looking at, I mean, you just looking at the wounds, looking at the the cuts and and their placement, and she knew what she was doing. And I was thinking about it, it was 1995, this is before the internet was quite what it is now, you know, in every house and everybody's literate and with it. It's, I'm thinking, how does she know at that age, how does she know how to do it? And the only thing that made sense to me is because she's around Vincent. Like, she picks up this stuff that her mom doesn't even pick up. You know, the scene earlier where... Uh, he picks her up in a car, you know, he does the U-turn in the middle of the street. She's sitting at the bus stop, uh, and she gets in the car, and she says, Hi, Mike, to, who is it, Drucker? Uh, it's in Bo- there with Bo- Bosco. Hey, Rory. Bosco, hey, okay. Uh, Ted Levine. Hey, hey Rory. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, yeah, he, she knows more about Vincent's life, it seems, than than her mom does, and she's really attached herself to Vincent, and she's picked up all these little details that, you know, he won't share with her mom. <laughs> you know, he's like, I, I don't share that stuff with you because it's, it's morbid and, and useless. But it occurs to me, I don't know, I think she is so desperate for, you know, the, the, to fill the void her, her father's left in her life, that she's latched on to Vincent. She went to his place to do this. She did it very efficiently and, you know, did it the right way instead of there's not, like, little slash marks all over the place. It's like, no, she knew exactly where to go. And, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty upsetting. You you hit me with a gut punch there of reading it that way because, yeah, it, 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 it resonates so much that, like, she's picking up the details. She's sort of unobtrusively sitting in the back of cars getting rides with Vincent and the guys are unintentionally talking shop and they think that she doesn't understand or, you know, they're using lexicon that she may not get, but she's there like a sponge just picking it up. And, she uh, is. I mean, even my kids, your boys, surely. Like, they're just sponges for like for everything you're like oh god i can't say that ever again i can't say that i can't say that around them ever again it's over i remember when my kids were uh in like like maybe one of the very first parent teacher conferences i had <laughs> i just asked like very timidly very kind of sh- almost shamefacedly like are, what what kinds of things are they saying what what is cuz it occurred to me you know, I'm watching Deadwood right, you know, <laughs> right by their heads on the other side of this wall. You know, after they go to bed every night, I'm, I'm like, are they? <laughs> what are they saying? And, uh, yeah, that's right. They they pick up. They really yeah. do. Cocksucker. <laughs> just, that's right. That's, just dropping some I'm, woo. I'm dropping some woo in school. <laughs> that's what's that's what's coming out at the at school. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, look, it's it's a really it's a, you know that there's other re- you know there's other readings of Justine in this scene, and there's you know probably more um, there's a more harsh readings of Justine in the in the film, as in you know a mother who um, 
you know, there's there's a way that it can be read, and I'll allow it for future episodes to sort of be fleshed out by people who've you know so put it better than me. But you know, there's ways to read it as this is punishment for Justine, and some of the women in this movie get punished for you know wanting to live their lives, and and so there's there's uh, there's definitely readings that uh, can approach it there. But I think um, uh, I, I really like ref- refocusing less about the what this means to Justine and more about what it is as a child on the peripheral of adults, like universally, seemingly universally adults who are, you're in that weird corridor. It's like you're in this weird blind spot of, I'm not completely a child. I'm self-sufficient enough, but I'm also craving desperately the attention that, you know, my mother wants in her relationship and, and in her cravings, for attention and sort of some semblance of normality, um, it's it's like I've I'm even further relegated to the sidelines, and 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 then she's looking for a father who's not there, and the only one is, you know, even right at the beginning of the movie, like Vincent's like no school today, like you can tell that he's taking an interest and he likes her and and he's got a little connection with her in in this world, um, and you know, right from the very beginning, you can see that. So it's, it's here that, you know, despite the fact that she's kind of, she may have heard, she may have known exactly what she was going to do. She goes in and does it. Um, there's nowhere else in the world that you'd really rather be than next to Vincent when you've done something like this. Yeah. And it's, it ends up happening this way. I'm not going to suggest that, that she's trying to do this, but, you know, looking at at Vincent and Justine's relationship, uh, you know, uh, they, she's constantly, you know, saying, "I want you to let me in to be part of your life," and he's, you know, he says to Neil at one point, or no, he, I think he says to Justine later, he he says, "It's just like you're always telling me, I'm only what I'm going after." You know, that's all I am, and yes. and and she. Uh, uh, Lauren, in doing this, in uh, and and putting herself in a place where she knows Vincent's the one that's going to discover her, he she literally makes she literally brings her mother into Vincent's work. Yes. You know, we've <laughs> yeah. already seen him comforting the dead prostitute's mother, and the scene where you know he's holding Justine and doing this. It's it's like he could, I'm not saying he is on autopilot, but he could be on autopilot here. This is just, this is what you say to grieving mothers. This is how you, you know, yeah. uh, he does this. He's finally brought, or she has finally brought Vincent and her mother together uh, for, you know, their most emotionally honest and open conversation, even after, you know, the whole Ralph debacle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's their best moment in the film, probably. Yeah, absolutely. It's because I think it's all also like there's a sort of morbid phrase, but it carries a great deal of truth, which is like there's nothing like a funeral to bring a family together. And so there's sort of this scare where the stakes of life and death like hit them at home, and it's not about because what Vincent does comes with inherent risks. It's about the, it's the blind spot. It's Lauren as a kid and this innocent. And um and, and you're right. Like you know, there's there's not a not more. You know, there's not a more naked place to emotionally entangle with one another than an emergency waiting room when your child is in surgery. <laughs> You know, like I just can't. I don't, there's no space that gives that strikes more fear into me um, and dread than that sort of space. And I think, you know, in an upcoming episode, may you rest in peace. I've already shared it, but we'll be sharing it back again in the sequence of the in the show. Is you know the the greater editor and um, you know George Romero and Al Pacino uh, um, uh, alumni, um, Pasquale Buba, Pat Buba. Um, he, his favorite scene of the entire film is Diane Venora and Pacino in that waiting room. And, and that exact moment that you talked about, you know, all I am is what I'm going after. It's, it's yeah. just that it, it's, it sort of rings with this perfection of like, and this honesty, um, that, 
that some of their other I- I- encounters because they're in the middle of you know well rehearsed in their minds anyway fights um in this moment there's none of that artifice it's just like here it is we're in a waiting room this is awful yeah and i think i think this is uh you know we talk about the parallels uh the very intentional parallels throughout the film between uh, Neil and, and Vincent. And, uh, you know, listening to the show, uh, you brought up a lot, the, the similarities, you know, how uh, between uh, Neil and, and Wayne Grow, how Wayne Grow's like the anti-Neil, or, or he's the, he's the, he's what Neil doesn't want to be, but is secretly afraid that, that he is in, you know, when he lets himself act emotionally and things like that. Um, but thinking about it in that term, I thought, well, then who's who's Vincent's Wayne Grow? And I think it's got to be uh, it's got to be uh, Justine's ex husband. It's got to be uh, Lauren's father, who's never there. You know, he Vincent is constantly anytime he talks about him, he's saying, you know, does he have any idea what he's doing to this kid? You know, he's constantly flaking out on her he's not there when she needs him to be and that's that's in the end really what he's doing too he is constantly failing justine and lauren uh by taking off on him you know he he leaves in the middle of uh the date night and he even in the emergency room you know when <laughs> he says i'm here for you i'm not going anywhere and then his beeper <laughs> goes off and you just kind of, I mean, you could almost hear, like, the Curb Your Enthusiasm. Bum, 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 Because I'm out of here. Because he's secretly afraid that he is that absent father figure, that absent uh, guy. You know, he's worked his way through marriages before, and I think it's it's eaten him up, not enough to change him. But it's eating him up that uh, he's also leaving this, you know, in his wake, this this sort of uh, emotionally scarred uh, people who he he jettisons uh, when uh, he wants to go to work. And um, it's it's that old def- yeah. that old reflection deflection, right? It's like. You know, does yeah. he have any idea? <laughs> and that's what's so great about when he's like, does he have any idea what he's doing to this kid? And, like, there's a great moment where Justin goes, well, I don't know. <laughs> she's like, she's so perplexed and annoyed. Like, what? I, I don't know. Like, you're doing... Like, she, she goes as far as to say, the movie is not as heavy-handed as to go, you're doing the same thing. But him saying right. it and her reaction of just completely looking perplexed and frustrated... Um, is the exact is the exact like it hits the right pitch? You're just like, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what she needed to do there. Um, I've yeah. been. I wanted to throw something by you because I was talking a lot. I went way back to you know one of the opening minutes of the film. I think it'll be the second or third minute of this film, and there's a Neil walking into a good a Goodwill Hospital. And just as he's entering the doors before he gets into sort of the, the bowels of the, the emergency um, department and sort of sneaks his way through without touching anything with any fingerprints, um, there's a statue out the front of Mary, you know, you know the, the Christian statue with the Mother Mary nursing a sort of a Jesus off of the cross, uh, you know, sort of withered um, mm. and exhausted. And for the longest time... Yeah, for the longest time, that pose I always associated with this, with the tenderness of the touch and the foreshadowing of the relationship with um, with Neil and Vincent in the crescendo of the movie. You know that tenderness of right. that withered thing, and I and I think that's that's pretty spot on. But just in the minute that we're watching, you know, this the hundred and forty fourth minute, it's about it's like twenty. I want to say like 24, 25 seconds into the minute and um, uh, or, or even it might just eclipse in the previous minute and sort of carries through but it literally has Vincent nursing um, nursing Lauren in that way. He's nursing yeah. 
he's nursing a withered Lauren. It's obviously um, uh, flipped around. It's inverted from what the statue is, but it's in that moment of like, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I'm fully grasping what what the movie's trying to say in that moment. Like having Neil walk past, like Neil's the guy who walks past that moment, and is Vincent the other guy? I'm sure there's plenty of more, you know. Um, uh, I'm sure there's a reading in there, but I just, I'm just struck by some of all throughout this movie of echoes and match cuts um, and sort of. Uh, and sort of corresponding experiences that are happening, and how they're how they're being portrayed, and what the differences and the contrasts are um, throughout throughout the film. And I just see that, and I'm like, you know, this is Vincent, and his purpose is the truest. Perhaps is is probably the best reading that I can come up with at this minute. No, that's great. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but you know, you notice you notice things all the time watching this film. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I was struck uh, today thinking about, uh, I, you know, I was watching it again and, and specifically thinking about uh, Vincent and uh, and Justine and, and Lauren and, and what's going on with them because the minute we're talking about it, and I'm watching it, and all the scenes shot in, you know, uh, Justine's ex-husband's dead tech post-modernistic <laughs> bullshit house, uh, you know, it's it's his house. It's it's the ex-husband's house, uh, and he's not there. And all the like, the little I was just looking at the decorations and things like that. And there's there's little bits of art on the wall, and there's a couple of paintings that that could be child's paintings of of just sort of a blank face, completely featureless masculine face i'm guessing and then there's a hang right next to it is a uh just a little kitschy uh decoration it might be a magnet it might be a woodcutter or something like that of just like an empty man's suit and when when neil or vincent is is talking to uh ralph and he's sitting on that couch there's a painting behind him of it looks like maybe there's uh it's a man wearing a, a button-up shirt with his sleeves rolled up, and, he, and he's kind of leaning on a desk, thinking about something hard. But but the face is completely gone, and all you can really make out is is just this sort of empty, empty male figure without a face. And it's just stuff that's that's all over the house. The house is just haunted by absent, absent men and. Uh, uh, that was just striking me today. That, uh, geez, the again, it's not something that I noticed for however many times I watched the movie. But uh, the level of uh, placing that that kind of thing in there, but not hitting you over the head with it, is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think uh, it's so. Um, that's the thing that strikes you on rewatches of just any movie. You know, to dress a set. And to and to take that much care with perhaps providing that haunting, and then just to blow past it because they're big performances, you know they're full frames, you know they're big performances. They're challenging one another. It's not, it doesn't do long languid holds of you know the um, the paintings as if to sort of punctuate and underscore a particular point. Like like you said, it's just it's just blowing past this stuff. And it's like on rewatch, on rewatch, on rewatch, you're like, this is a space that is haunted. Like, this is a space that's haunted by a previous relationship. You know, Vincent has no possessions, according to this. You know, a pearl-handled gun and a television. Like, that's all he's got. <laughs> it's all he's got. And a collection of oversized suits. Like, that's all that this guy has in his entire life. That's his, his entire repertoire. Everything else is, is, is elsewhere. So, it, it's even more sort of devastating there and you also wonder and and i think you brought up the the best point like haunted by absent men it's like vincent this is vincent's third marriage does he not have any children yeah and that's like a if we assume that vincent has no children it's like wow like he i mean i maybe get it with one marriage that you don't have kids but three and no kids and you're like yeah this guy was this guy was um, functioning on a level of dedication and uh, and finding these women that were totally okay not to have kids like consecutively or 
got to a point where like, no, we need to settle down and actually have a family. Nope, not going to work. That's not who I am. Yeah. I'm going to be that. Yeah. I'm going to be the empty suit. I'm going to be the blank face. I'm just going to be the decorations on the former house, and that's all I got. That's all I am. Well, it and you know one one thing that comes up a lot in in Michael Mann movies, uh, you know, it comes up in Thief and and Jericho Mile and um, and I always read it into Heat. Uh, is the the thing about you know men who've been in prison and they've got the the little uh, those collage posters they make and, yeah. and keeping their wallet of you know the life they want to make for themselves when they get out and uh, you know in in Thief when when uh, James Conn's talking to Tuesday Weld and you know he shows her the the poster and basically points at family you know he's like that's you you know pointing at the woman and and there's children in it and she's like who are they and he's like well they come later you know and he goes out and gets a kid he goes out and gets a woman you know and the way he goes and gets her is very much it's very similar i think to the way uh neil and Edie um have their relationship it is very zero to 60 you know in the uh in the blink of an eye because uh He's serious. He feels she's serious, and you know the the James Con line. You know, is like, let's get this big romance going. You know, he's yeah. frustrated. <laughs> she won't just jump into it with him, and you know, Neil wants Edie to take off with him. Well, I think it's you know very much possibly the same thing with uh, with Vincent. He knows his real calling, his real thing that he's going to do with his life is be a hunter out on the street but i you know he's got three wives uh maybe it's because they are just sort of that thing that you ought to do you ought to you ought to have a home life uh but you ought to have a home life and keep a hotel room all the time (laughs) i mean he's already had this hotel room clearly if if uh you know, Justine, or I'm sorry, if uh, Laura knows where it is and and can get into it, uh, yes. clearly, that's that's his space. That's what he holds back from uh, the marriage. He's always got this hotel room uh, that he can go to. You know, I mean, does he go to it because he doesn't want to come in at all hours and disturb the household when he, you know, needs to get some sleep, sleep during the day or something like that? I don't know, but it's always there. He's had this, and it's common knowledge, and you know, so it, that makes me think he's not like screwing around on Justine or something. But the fact that his daughter, her daughter, knows where it is, but but he's got it. He's holding that part back. Yes. He's never letting go of it. He's never fully invested in the marriage. It's just like, yeah, you ought to get married. You ought to have a uh, a home life, but. Uh, you know, it's not going to last, probably, like the others haven't lasted. And, uh, yeah. So pivoting now to, like, you know, this gives Vincent um, a key contrast, too, in that, you know, someone who is deeply close to him, with Neil, it's been his crew, um, and 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 picking Krisha Hellas up by the scruff, dragging him to, you know, DIY... Jeremy Piven surgery, um, and 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 now Vincent sort of protecting Lauren here, taking her to a hospital. It's like it gives Vincent, you know, another moment. It gives Vincent another moment of like reinforcing who this guy is. It's like what keeps him awake at night, what haunts him, and and another one of those people, you know, you know, refusing to allow Lauren to be one of those people who's haunting him in his dreams and nightmares every night. You know, sitting at that table because um, he found them, um, and. And he races into the hospital and he's there and, and he's already at least been fast enough to get people on the horn, get Lauren, uh, get, get Lauren's mum, Justine, down to the hospital, know exactly where to drive into the emergency room. And then, you know, just at the, you know, the beginnings of the moment there were uh, the ending of this moment and the, and the following of the preceding, uh, the, the following moment coming up is, you know, we watch Vincent sort of get into work mode, work mode completely. Yeah. Yep, he he springs right to it. He's probably been in this situation <laughs> many times. 
or you know that's the the impression he gives anyway he knows all the directions later on you know just seconds after our minute ends to to tell all the doctors you know i need this kind of surgeon and that one they even ask if she's on drugs and he says no very confidently and which kind of surprised me i'm like really is that supposed to be a blind spot or is he like done a drug test is he did he suspect she was going to commit suicide uh apparently not but he's confident she's not on drugs so uh he's yeah he's taking care of business all the time yeah so i got a question for you yes about so obviously this you know la takedown is made first uh supposedly man already had written the script for heat the the whole long script uh and and then you know made la takedown by excising large bits of it this part is excised from L.A. Takedown. This is not part of the L.A. Takedown story. In fact, Vincent Hanna is not with anyone in that uh, movie. Um, but my question to you is, is is he 100% right all the time in uh, the, the places that it, it uh, differs from L.A. Takedown? Do you, do you prefer anything about L.A. Takedown? Uh, do you think this is adding a lot to heat or, or do you think LA takedown, you know, the way it, it, I mean, it, there's no fat on that movie. It just moves. Uh, yeah. It's a million miles an hour. Um, the thing that, so it's a weird, it's a weird thing, right? So I, and it's, it's hard for me to say to die because I've watched this movie so many times and, and especially unpacking this, I relish all of the, I relish all of this. Like, I need this for Vincent to really work for me. And I think there's, like, if you just go to the the, the, the culmination, the end of this movie in stark contrast to L.A. Takedown, like, the ending of this movie, like, vibrates, you know, for me. It's just, like, it's it's so perfect. But the the way that it vibrates and that particular frequency that it hits is all because I'm so entangled with these people. Um, and I think in, like... One, you know, um, in, in a previous episode um, with Joe Grabinski, who does the Amazon reviews on Twitter, a really great dude. He talks about, you know, you know, just the the in this big epic, if you just pick the characters and you pick the their their descriptors, you know, guy who's really bad at marriages because he's obsessed with his work and stuff like that. That there's the relatability of the people is what I think is the major difference. The challenge that I have with LA Takedown is I love L- I love parts of LA Takedown, um, but LA Takedown as a series would have frustrated living daylights out of me because it basically does the thing that Tim Burton's Batman does, which is it kills the best villain at the end. You know what I mean? It's like the best mm-hmm. villain of the whole series is gone. It's like you sh- you blow your wad on your Neil Macaulay, and it's like who have you got left? No one, you know? So for me, whenever I think of like the what LA Takedown could have done or the aspiration is to like set up a, you know, an awesome 10 episode series with hour-ish long episodes um, throughout the whole thing directed by Michael Mann that sort of goes through the arc, the things that I'd want to do is look at everything that Heat does and then go, all right, I want to know more about Chris and Charlene and I want to know more about Don Breeden and I want to see more of his journey focus. I want to see more about Vincent's crew. I want to see more about Vincent's home life. Like, I want to see if they had a good time. I want to see if they had a bad time. I want to meet... I want to see the silhouette of Lauren's dad in a car the one time he turns up out of 10. You know, I want to see all this other stuff. So when I when I look at those moments, you know, and, and you sometimes see them, you mentioned Deadwood, like, the, the way that Deadwood can ruminate on an event is, like, one of the most enviable things, I think, of any show ever. Is, you know, it, could, it can be just a... We've got to solve this problem. We've got a problem to solve, and it takes three or four whole beautifully, exquisitely written hour-long episodes, often from different perspectives of the town, before a culminating event or a culminating action happens, and then you sort of see how all these seemingly disparate threads all intertwine and entangle to get to what happens. And that's Deadwood. That's what makes it one of the greatest shows that's ever existed. And so... When I look at that, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think any of these different moments. Despite, you know, I love my my best friend Maria. She teases me frequently. She's like, I could pick, I could pick a movie that you could. Uh, I don't need to even ask you. I could pick ten movies that you'd want a marathon, 
all they have to be made is in the 90s. They have to be 45 minutes too long and they have to have just 85% dudes. That's her exact exact <laughs> words. And so I think the thing I love about Heat is that it feels fast and it feels percussive and it doesn't ever slow down for me when I watch it. I think that's the tale of a really great long movie. It's like that it doesn't feel like for a second any moment of your time is being wasted. And so I think that that's what LA Takedown has it for it in spades, right? It's fast, it's 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 well paced, um, but I just the thing that would inf- that infuriates me about LA Takedown to no end is, um, is that it it blows its wad on two great villains. Mm-hmm. Like I would almost love LA Takedown more if it just had the balls to to have Vincent and, and Neil sh- have a have a showdown and Wayne Grove get away. And have a massive question mark because then Vincent's got someone else to investigate. Well, he does, doesn't he? No, because he he stops him right as he's he's getting he's there to get Wangro and and Vincent interrupts him, right? Yeah, does it, uh, unless I'm completely misremembering, but isn't it like Wangro gets Neil in a takedown and then and then Vincent gets Wangro? I want to say he's not even he's about to. Bust in the door on Wangro. Like Wangro is not seen, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I haven't. I, I haven't. To be honest, I haven't. To be honest, I haven't seen LA Takedown in, in a while, in a long while. I watched yeah. it once, and it was like, it was like watching, you know, the kids who made the shot for shot remake of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was like watching that, <laughs> like in the most in the nicest possible way. Like the budget's way less. It's stripped back. It's yeah. It's it's sort of a proof of concept of what it might look like as a TV show but for me I the speed with which that it operates just nothing for me is the way that I would approach it this more broader epic of like expansive fully understanding all of these characters you know I, I think of the the mounting weight of this movie coming down to that crescendo and the tense and the heightened state that you're in by the end for me that the heightened state doesn't get there if you don't know all these people if you don't have these stakes and if you don't have the inherent tragedy of these these moments because as you said this all leads to a point where Vincent has a fatalistic outlook all I you you're right Justine all I am is what I'm going after and now that you said I'm allowed to go I'm going to dance down these stairs and I'm going to run off and I'm going to go to my fate like that's what it is <laughs> And it's tragic. It doesn't get any happier. That's what's so. This is what's great. I'm having such a fun time talking to all the great people, such as yourself, on this show. And I just keep realizing that every mounting minute towards this ending has something that is emotionally devastating. <laughs> like there's just no. It's an unrelenting slide, and I think all yeah. these bits help help make that slide just. You know, it, it's it's all the more profound and powerful. Well, it's funny you mention. Um the thing about uh, your criteria for, you know, your friend picking out best movies for you. Uh, and uh, I, I watched, uh, I watched this with my, um, I watched heat with my oldest son recently for the first time. I've been kind of saving it. Like I'm waiting until my kids can appreciate how good this is, you know? And, and of course you can't really until you've maybe watched it several times. And until you've seen a whole lot of, shitty movies yes it's hard to appreciate how good this one is um and there's by the way no no doubt that i prefer heat over la well, takedown. yeah sorry we knew, but we i knew gotta that. say when i watch when i watch la takedown uh as a as a screenwriter i kind of marvel at it i'm yes. like oh man this is really economical like this is this really moves i'm really impressed with it that way but but uh so i watched watched heat with my son um for the first time and uh you know but today i picked him up from school and i said hey you know i'm gonna talk about talk about heat uh on the podcast and uh, i'm curious you know what what were your impressions what do you think about it and pretty much what he said was you know what i really liked about it i really liked uh all the time it spent showing the uh the wives and girlfriends and the effect this is all having on them uh i mean he brought up don breeden's uh i don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend but yeah, uh, Lillian, you know yeah. watching watching the news in the bar and, and seeing him you know and he said that really stuck with me and seeing you know that uh, uh hannah's wife leaves him and this all you know it just 
he was like, I really liked that. I really liked that they all, you know, there were all these little parallels between them. And, uh, you know, the one thing that kind of brings, you know, all the guys in this movie together is them failing their women. <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty pretty wow. universally. Well, not, yeah. And I said that, you know, that's a very astute, that was, that I mean, you, that's a very astute that, uh, observation from a young, yeah. young man. Like he's, he sounds like he is a very, very savvy little lad. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely more so than I was. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that's the measure I'm saying. For me, I was like, oh, no, the bank heist, bro. You know, it was awesome. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Your son's there talking about the emotional impacts and the trajectory and looking behind the curtains of what consequences are. Like, he sounds like he's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, he is. He is. That's I can't great. take too much credit for that, but, but he's he's pretty great. That's so cool. Man, he's going to love this movie when he's our age. Yeah, I think he's so. Gonna and, love the, you know, I mean, he's going to love the living daylights out ho- of this Hopefully movie. he looks back at this time in his life and, and it brings back good memories instead of, you know, other, you know, tied to other weird teenager stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it more in the future when he's seen it more often. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that's the... Um... That's the dream. Looking forward. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to showing both my kids heat at one stage. I don't know when. I don't know when that is ever going to be. It might. Yeah. I don't know when it's ever going to be. I've, I haven't. I haven't really thought too much. Thought too hard about it because they're so little. But I just imagine that, like one day, one day there might be yeah. you know a heat poster on the office wall, on the studio wall, and uh, yeah, absolutely. What's that? Oh, that's Daddy's favorite movie. It's Daddy's favorite movie. <laughs> oh, why is that it's your favorite? It's funny, fa- I showed him. Why is that your favorite? Well, here's a hundred here's a few episodes. hundred and seventy hours of it. <laughs> the abridged version is that I think it's a masterpiece. If you want the extended version, <laughs> Daddy will send you a link. Um, and you can listen on your microchip because by then we won't even have phones. It'll just be a microchip in our head. And uh, yeah, go back and see if the archived internet, you can find it. Yeah. Yeah. So, one more question for you then. Listening to all these episodes, you know, sometimes other Michael Mann movies get uh, get mentioned, mm-hmm. and um, and we talk about how how he reuses the same scenes and dialogue and character archetypes and mm-hmm. and themes a lot, uh, which I think is great. But I want to know. I don't think I've heard you say you really don't like any of his films. L.A. Takedown, maybe just now. That was that was as close as I've. As no, I've heard. look, I really. Are, I, you, are there any of his films that you don't like? Yes, yeah. I don't like Black Hat. I'm not a fan. I, I'm I'm fundamentally uh, not a fan of Black Hat. And um, what what? But it's it's weird. Like I'm always more about Jadar, and I'm, I know that I think you're a bit the same. It's like I'm way more for an ambitious failure than I am for something that is playing it exceptionally safe. So I respect Black Hat's aspiration of what it's trying to do, but I just it does not jive with me whatsoever. And I've tried to watch it. And this is the thing, I suppose, the difference between Michael Mann movie and, and a not Michael Mann movie is that I gave it more than one chance. Like there are plenty of right. films I've watched once and gone, nope, I'm done. And people are like, no, watch it again. It's great. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I have so many other things in the world that I could be doing and I'm not and, uh, books to read, films to see, TV, great TV shows. I get, I'm just not watching it. It's not happening. Um, so uh, I think that that's what it is. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of Black Hat. I'm not a fan of, um, I'm not a fan of The Keep where some people are like, it's fascinating, but it's, it's, I, I just don't, I just don't really like it. Um, but I do, I really do like I think that's you know why he's my favorite filmmaker. I think for pound for pound, I love a lot of his stuff. And I actually like, yeah. you know, even something that's more universally loved like Collateral. I really like Collateral, but I don't love Collateral. It's not my that's favorite. That's the one for me. That's the one I really don't like. Yeah, I, I'm really, not really bothers me. I'm I'm not as huge a fan. Like, like I love. I think it's one of Tom Cruise's best performances. But a lot of people rave about Collateral and say Michael Mann's you know best movie is Collateral, and I'm like. I don't know what Michael Mann you've been watching, but the one yeah. I'm watching, you know, I'm, um, and, and 
I've, I've, it's taken me a significant amount of time and, you know, people like Niall Schwartz's wonderful off-the-map book and more discussions to really relish public enemies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, but, but at the time, I wasn't completely jived on it. But, like, I think Miami Vice, Miami Vice is a, a masterpiece. Ali was a highway robbery for Will Smith. Like, if I was Will Smith and I was wanting, like, prestige, like, how he didn't get an Oscar for that performance is just outlandish. I just don't understand um, because he's absolutely incredible. And that's a movie I've rewatched and just gone, God, this is good, like, all across the park. Mohicans is so fun. Mohicans is, like, just wonderful. Sunday matinee. Every 3 p.m. on a Sunday, there's, like, one movie I want to watch, and it's a James Bond movie or it's Last of the Mohicans. Like, that's it. Like, Sunday is, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, the ins- and in the in the co- contemporary environment we're in right now, you know, and as we're recording this, Julian Assange has just been dragged out of, like, an embassy and arrested. I'm like, remember when whistleblowers were doing the noble thing, like in The Insider? <laughs> and now whistleblowers... <laughs> get dragged out of government institutions. Yes, I know he's a problematic individual, blah, 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 blah. Yes, yes. Okay, we can all agree on that. But just, you know, compare the whistleblower in when the whistleblower is the good guy and the big, you know, corporate, military, industrial complex and government were the bad guys in, you know, like New Hollywood and The Insider and then remember what happens after that. <laughs> you know, it's just... Anyway, but yeah, so no, uh, uh, yeah, definitely not as massive a fan of colla- as Collateral as everyone else. Definitely don't like Blackout. Definitely not a fan of The Keep. Um, but I, but I've given them more chances than others. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I came around on Blackout first time I saw it. It really drove me nuts. But uh, second time I saw it, I thought, well, I don't know, it's not so bad. And the third time I saw it, I think it was like, no, I think I really like this. And, and <laughs> And I've tried to do that with Collateral. I watch it probably once a year, and I, I keep timing, like, okay, when is it that I just tune out? When, I, when, I, when do I give up? And it's, uh, Is it for I've Jason Statham? Is it, What's that? Is it when you see Jason Statham? Because that would be 30 seconds no. into the movie. <laughs> just no, I, I, hey, Jason Statham never heard a movie, in my opinion. But, uh, <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, yeah, no, it's just... It, there's things about Collateral that I think are great, and I'm sure if somebody else had made that movie, it wouldn't bother me so much. But the fact that Michael Mann takes many years in between projects, and you know, and 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 the things that I love about his work, I feel are not very well represented in Collateral. Uh, I that's what makes you know really frustrates me. But I watch it. I watch it frequently. You know, for for a movie I don't I don't like I, I sure watch it an awful lot I keep waiting for it to and that's that's the allure right quick. it's like a, even a bad Michael Mann movie is more interesting than, <laughs> than many many people's you know good to middle to decent movies you know you're just a little bit right. more fascinated you get something a little bit more out of it and I've watched Blackout again and I probably will again even though I'm, I'm not yeah. a fan because I'll talk to people like you or I'll talk to people like Bill Gabiri amazing guest of the show who's like the biggest black hat apologist in the world um uh i call them apologists but he'll probably just say fanatic um and uh and uh yeah he, he really loves blackout and and you know there's there's at least there's something um narratively interesting about sort of stripping away you know stripping away that detail and making things very you know it's sort of elemental and and taking away plot you know uh, i think that's one of the things mm. that makes something like Black Hat continue to be interesting because it just is so, you know, you talk about marveling at um, at uh, LA Takedown. That's a marvel because it jams a lot of plot in and is super economical. And Black Hat, conversely, is like it, it has this sort of epic, um, you know, international swashbuckling hunt for, a you know, a, a bad guy. Right. Um, but it's the plot is so threadbare. Like, it just strips things away, takes things out, and then it has these little bursts of plot when it needs to pause for a breath, and then it's back to strip down, you know, just everything is action, action, action. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you... Heat is probably, if you discount takedown, uh, Heat is probably most similar to Thief in, in his uh, body of work. You, you watch Heat and you watch Thief and you go, oh, yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. I think Black Hat... And Manhunter actually are 
very similar mm. and a lot of uh, a lot of their don't stuff. you make me do um, it jedediah i'm gonna have to watch blackout again and i'm gonna have to do it in a double yeah, feature with manhattan god damn it <laughs> you know just pretend hemsworth isn't doing the accent or whatever the hell he's doing god he's such uh, a charming you know, maybe bu- mute it he's but. such a charming bugger when he's not doing accents i wish he i wish right. him more movies where he gets his australian accent because he's funny did he have to be american i you know? wish i wish for that it's like eric banner you know i mean oh, eric banner as chopper and the only Absolutely. other movie that I think he's, he's transcendent in, actually, and he does have an accent in this, is Munich. But Eric Banner in Chopper, it's just, he's just, he's a complete and utter psychopath, but he's so charming. He's so goddamn yeah. charming. <laughs> it's like, amazing. It's like, please, oh, more movies with Eric Banner being an Aussie. And it was in that, uh, what was the Apatow one? Funny People? You know that silly, yeah. silly small moment that he's in there is is a crazy AFL supporting Australian. It's like perfect. That's the right exact the right amount of charm. The perfect dude you want to see in an Apatow movie. You know, as a as a bit player. But oh man, I don't know how we got here. Look, Jedediah, mate. I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for your encouragement um, offline, and um, thank you so much for leading me towards other amazing folk that should be on the show. Um, I, I'm, I'm deeply grateful and uh, mindful that this is the last time we're going to talk during this project, but most certainly not the last time that we're going to talk and interact um, um, over the coming uh, over the coming weeks, months. And uh, I just want to say, because we're now, as we're recording, you guys are going to be listening to this um, uh, in April, and we're recording this in April too, so we're all in that downhill slope towards July um, when the uh, the show ends. But I just want to say a huge thank you, mate, for for all your support and everything uh, everything you've done for for this show and One Hit Minute and being a part of it well thanks so much i've uh, i've really enjoyed being on here and thank you for doing 170 episodes so i don't have to <laughs> and 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 on that note jedediah can totally um uh, pick up the next uh, michael mann podcast uh, by minute show if you like uh, at jedediah airs j-e-d-i-d-i-a-h a-Y-R-E-S um, you can find all of his stuff there it's best to go straight through Twitter and uh, his blog SpaceyThompson on uh, .blogspot.com you can find that there um, Peckerwood I can highly recommend and as we said if you're in a secondhand thrift store in Oz Fierce Bitches is somewhere to be found um, thank you Mr. Garth Franklin for our web design Mr. Paul Davies for our uh, music and uh, we'll catch you on another episode of One Eight Minute just around the corner see ya